Listen to Natty News. Welcome everyone to Natty News, the nattiest news show in the entire world. I'm Andrew the Natty, and I'm joined with my possibly not Natty co-host Pat. Oh man, Pat with those. 13 inch biceps is killing it right now. How are you doing, Pat? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Um, if you're watching here on YouTube, uh, I'm a little shiny because I'm sweating really hard. It's quite hot here in Vancouver. Yes, we're talking about the weather. Again. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I, I'm uh, prepping for nationals and body's just starting to feel slightly stronger. So I'm feeling good. How are you, Anwar? I'm doing well, man. Uh, when is Nationals for you? When are you going to be competing? Yeah, it's a live online event. It's going to be July 10th. It just got confirmed this week. I think it's like an afternoon session. Perfect. Okay, this episode is going to be out before then. And we'll um, be sure to drop the link for Avon to cheer you on and let the Natty News community be there for you to beat all those possibly Natty competitors. <laughs> Man, I don't know if I'm gonna. I'll be happy to beat anybody. The I think, I think um, the guy with the biggest total in my in my weight class has. There, he's entering with a three thirty total. So my my best total is two fifty four. <laughs> Guy's crazy. Three thirty kilos, dude. That's insane. So what is it like? A hundred eighty clean and jerk, one fifty snatch. Something like that. That he. I think that guy almost qualified for the Olympics, and I. I think the. The cool thing about this Nationals, I looked through it, is that a lot of the people that qualified for the Olympics, uh, I think they're going to do this as like a tune-up event. And so it's pretty cool. There's going to be some some strong competition. And uh, See, man, that's so awesome. Like, uh, I mean, I love you, man, but you're never going to be an Olympian. <laughs> yeah. But it is, it is so cool that you're going to compete with them, that you guys are going to be in that category, that you're with them and all that. Like, that's really awesome. Like, that's still a really cool environment to be around. Absolutely. I'm just going to get my lifts in first in the session, and then and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch that guy kick my ass and kick everybody's ass. He's going to kill it. Yeah, no, that's also, I mean, hopefully you get to chat with him maybe a bit too. That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's 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 always a good chance to connect. And I, I wish it was live, right? But I think it would still be a good chance to connect, see some real strong lifters. You know, we're always in our little bubble in our own provinces. But, but yeah, it will be cool. Yeah, no, dude, that is fantastic. And you know what? We talk about competition, but to get to that level of competition, you need to have some intensity. And that kind of um, goes into our conversation today. We really want to talk about intensity in the gym. And also, how do you measure it specifically with the RPE systems, RIR systems, and all this all good stuff. And it's a little appropriate. I'm wearing my animal t-shirt which for those who know is all about that intensity so i think i'm wearing the right outfit for this topic um and to give a bit of a background when pat and i were talking about what we should talk about uh as um listeners of natty news know i recently started doing the juggernaut ai training program and i'm happy to say it's been fantastic and one cool thing about it is it's completely based off an rpe rir system and from that, I've never done RPE training. So I've been having a lot of um, 
I'd say fun with it, where I might start my set and my first set, I'd be like, oh, that was easy. RPE 7, no question. And then my last set is just an RPE 10 grinding out the rep. So it's been a very interesting thing, especially working on high volume using these RPE systems. So I think this would be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to hear more from you on how do you balance intensity with volume? How do you really know what is an RPE 7 or 8? Because I mean, Let's be honest, Ava knows when you're at full intensity, but how can you tell in those in-betweens? But yeah, I think it's going to be a good conversation. Um, before we start, uh, do you have any opinions about the RPE systems? Do you use it, Pat, yourself? Yeah, well, um, you know, uh, university has trained me properly to always define our terms first. Uh, so we'll, <laughs> I'll start with that. Um, RPE, RIR, and we also, we're also a new show. We're going to give you some history. So RPE stands for Rate of Perceived Exertion. It was actually created by, um, I think, this guy Borg, um, who we learned a lot of in school from exercise physiology. So it actually wasn't developed for strength training at all. It was actually um, developed for uh, cardiovascular testing. So if you guys ever seen guys with a mask on and, and the, the bike ergometers where it scales up in level until you puke, like they used it for that to gauge... Um, the intensity because uh, they would actually use the estimates of those intensities um, as a cheap way to see uh, how close people were to their lactate threshold and to their limits. Um, it used to be a 6 to 20 scale. But later on in time, um, people who were doing strength training, lifting weights, actually were like, hey, we can start using this too. But 6 to 20 is too damn confusing for anybody to understand. So they simplified it to a 1 to 10 scale with 10 kind of being extreme extreme exhaustion and one being not doing anything right and then five being somewhere in between light effort now um later on in time rir reps in reserve came into belief again because rpe just doesn't really make sense to a lot of people nobody knows the difference between a five and an eight or like a seven and a nine right so reps in reserve um can very easily be defined as um, you know, with the fate of the universe on the line, with, you know, with Thanos about to like to snap his gauntlet, if you don't complete your max reps, how many reps could you actually do? And that would be a zero RIR, right? Like if like I did 10 bench press and I like literally my eyes were bulging, and I can't finish the 11th one. That is zero RIR. Every rep under that, uh, you know, if, if I did, so if I did eight reps the next time, I would have probably left two in the tank and so on and so forth, right? Um, so those are the two terms. Um, yeah, actually, any questions about that? Yeah, so actually, one of my questions is you were mentioning the original RPE was 6 to 20, and that seems like such a weird range. Like, And you were mentioning it's a cardiovascular thing. So like, what's a 10 on that old-school RPE thing? Like, Would that mean you had like 10 minutes left on a bike? Like, How would they measure that? um this that's a great question and the fun thing is i'm actually gonna look up the rp 6 to 20 scale but because i actually you know did all the exercise physiology tests in school and that was always my question like what the hell is like a 12 even right yeah um, so here's like some of the things uh six is no exertion at all um a 10 to 11 is light 13 to 14 is somewhat hard uh, 15 to 16 is is hard, 17 to 18 is very hard, and 19 to 20 is extremely hard. Now, as you can see, very sophisticated. It's just like, <laughs> it's light, and then it's hard. And 
I think my biggest problem with that is that I think if you've done the test like 400 times, maybe you'll start to have a good gauge for it. If it's your like first five times doing it, you'll have no idea. And I feel like your ratings can be all over the place and like not very uh, accurate, right? Yeah, and I think another thing about all of these intensity scales is it really is a bit subjective too, especially when you're getting away from the maximum intensity. Yeah. Like, of course, like a one rep max, like an RPE 10, it's pretty obvious when you notice when you can't get the bar anymore up. Like, that's kind of obvious. But once you start getting to six and seven, I find it so hard to know your intensity. And like, especially for maybe cardiovascular too, it's like, how do I know this is an eight and maybe not a 10? Like, I feel like I'm going like a decent pace, but could I go more? Like, it's a really hard thing to measure for yourself. Absolutely. And um, I think a lot of it is a practice effect. And that's why starting to get into my opinions and RP, I don't think it's that effective for beginners. And I also think another prerequisite is un to understanding is you really have to understand what RPE and RIR means. And to do that, you will need to know what training to failure truly is, like Dorian Yates style. If you've never gone balls to the wall in your exercise and you're always, always kind of lollygagging and going easy on yourself, then you don't know what a 10 RPE or a zero RIR is. And um, I don't think anything's accurate then at that point, right? Um, like giving a beginner to RIR all the time sounds good on paper, but they might actually be doing something where they have 10 reps in reserve because they don't understand what it means to truly train to failure. And that's not to say people are lazy. It's that learning to train to failure is truly a skill. You need to practice and like understand how to push yourself there in a safe manner. And honestly, I would say you can't go to failure until you're very confident in your firm and technique. Yes. Yeah. Like, I like, I, um, I often in my training, I like to actually do AMRAPs on deadlift. And for a lot of coaches, I imagine they hear them that like, that's ridiculous. That's such a high chance of getting injury doing an AMRAP on one of the most like, like a really tricky thing, like a deadlift, you mess up, you can do some damage to your back. But I kind of find like, I feel so confident in my technique with deadlifting where even when I'm approaching near failure and total exhaustion, I can still keep up a strong back and curve where I don't feel injured even after going to pretty intensity, like going high intensity with deadlifts. Yeah. Well, well, I mean like that's a, that's a great example, like case example there, right? You've done deadlifts for about 10 years at this point. It's something you feel very confident with. Uh, whereas I actually wouldn't feel as confident with myself with deadlifts. So I choose not to AMRAP there. And, and then there's that, there's that individuality piece, right? And that's why if you're a beginner, not just in the gym, but if you're a beginner at a certain movement, you really probably, you wouldn't feel right and you probably shouldn't be testing out your maximum, which presents a bit of a problem when you're kind of estimate, estimating reps in reserve and things like that. Yeah, that's true too. And I think um, you also bring up a good point of you got to learn how to go to like that Durian Yates complete exhaustion too, because I think a lot of people, and that's kind of the cool thing about the gym, is that they don't really know their limits. Like when you first start going to the gym, you, you don't really realize how hard you can push yourself or how strong you can be. Um, until you kind of start approaching that. So when you first start off, like you might be doing, like for myself, I think I was starting off with that 15 pound dumbbells. And I thought being able to bench press 50 pounds would be like my human limit. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't think it's just a beginner thing. Um, you know, we're both like many, many years in the lifting and uh, recalling that time uh, you came over to my gym recently and we, we got a lift in, right? Uh, we were doing your AMRAP bench press. I think you thought you were getting at something like five or something that you got in your own gym. And then we busted out a set of 10. And that's, again, the subjective part of, of intensity and maximum. Having someone hyping you up, having great music, um, having the right environment, you know, uh, just being in a good state of mind, feeling happy, like all that stuff plays into it. Um, and yeah, so like like intensity and maximums, they can all change on a given day. And, and you know what? I love that you brought those, all those variables. And actually, um, with the Juggernaut AI in the Facebook group, um, the owner of Juggernaut Training, Chad, he actually made a really good post on there. And oh, I hope I can find it. Um, and what he was mentioning was like the RPE scale is not the same as a weight. Like you don't match it with a weight where you don't say like an example is bench press. Like your RPE seven doesn't equal like 185 pounds or 205 pounds. It varies day to day. Like one day your RPE seven. might be 185 pounds, but you know what, you might be able to RPE seven, two or five pounds, and that's totally fine. And that's, I think it kind of adds the complexity of the RPE system. Because when we look at static weight, it's easy to be like, okay, I did 185 last week, I'll do 185 again, or maybe I'll go up to 190. But with this RPE system, like it varies day to day based off how you feel. So I feel like you need to have a good understanding of your body too. Yeah. Um, hundred percent. And, and, uh, I think it varies lift to lift too, right? Like if you're, you usually feel really good about lower body, then you might have a better gauge. And again, with upper body, or if you've had injuries, you might be more careful with yourself. Um, so, I mean, that's, th those are a lot of like the negatives of using, um, these concepts. Uh, it's yeah, there, there's a, uh, it's very situation dependent and you need to have a very good body awareness, um, in order to like, be honest yourself yourself about it oh man being honest with your body i think that's the most challenging thing is being real and honest with you being like okay i'm not feeling my best i need to drop yeah. the weight like i think that's the hardest part <laughs> yep yeah it's uh turning off the eagle lifting um <laughs> especially if that's how you learn to lift which is how we learn to lift um yeah you just have to you know yeah turn that off and like you know also maintaining like good form you know you can bust some more reps with bad form and call that your maximum. But, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of way to cheat the system, but at the end of the day, you got to remember that this is something you do for yourself and cheating an extra rep out of it really doesn't do anything. doesn't do good for anybody. Yeah. I got us. I know we talked a little bit about some of the difficulties about RPEs, but to kind of transition to some of the pros, one of the things I really like about it is it makes you focus on the quality of rep. Because like when you're thinking about what's your maximum, what's your RPE 10, the idea of it is those are 10, like that's a perfect rep too. Like you start maybe bouncing on your chest, that uh, we're not counting those. Like we're talking about just good quality reps too. So an example is for my benching, when I do any RPE work, I'm making sure every rep looks the same. Like as soon as a rep starts looking different, that's it, I'm done. And so I think it really helps me focus on firm quality because I have to keep the consistency for that RPE scale to work. Yeah, um, absolutely agree with that. Um, yeah, it, it keeps you honest with yourself. And I think it, it also gives a lifter a little bit more to think about in a good way. 
um, just being mindful about it because, um, you know, when, when you see a lot of programs and I'm guilty of this too, like we'll just write like uh, three by 10 at 70%, right? And then, um, you know, going by the textbooks, three by 10 at 70% should result in some pretty difficult sets, but everybody responds pretty different. Like for some people, like for example, me with, I don't have like the best endurance for certain lifts, three by 10, 70% would take me to like a RPE 10 or zero reps in reserve. Uh, for someone else, like, um, you know, I, I'd say you have a pretty good engine typically three by 10, 70%, you might actually have a bunch of reps left in the last set. And without thinking about the RPE or without the lifter understanding that we might actually be cheating out of some gains, or we might be working too hard for what, for what uh, you might want. Yeah, no, I completely um, agree with you on that. I also think about like, one of the things I realized is that by going too intense on a certain lift kind of could ruin your whole workout. And it's something I've really kind of realized now too, is that like, if you're doing like 10 different chest um, sets of like different exercises and you use all your energy on like the second set of bench press that's going all out there there is no way you're gonna have eight quality sets after that like you're done like if you go rpe 10 on one set it kind of makes it so you can't really push yourself that hard on any other set you're just gonna like start just getting so much in um inflammation just get so like tired so quickly you can't really put in any good work afterwards so it really is kind of like a balance between how intense you want to do go and how much volume you plan to do yeah and i think that's one of the uh kind of the centerpieces of the juggernaut training system right is uh the whole idea of like stimulus fatigue ratio um that you want a decently hard stimulus but at a certain point the stimulus gets so hard that fatigue gets too high and then the rest of your workout, you can't get enough volume of stimulus in there. So like we want to keep it to that, you know, that happy medium of stimulus um, while which makes us able to get more volume in. Right. Yeah. No. And um, reading on like the firms and stuff for Juggernaut AI, it seems that they do put a lot of emphasis on volume. And of course, volume training is incredibly valuable, helps you get your technique right, helps you make a lot of gains. But what do you think is like the balance between intensity and volume? Like, um, not to talk about juggernaut AI, but I mean, we've all seen it. We've all seen the super heavy bodybuilding programs, heavy on volume, not on weight, where it's like we're doing 30 sets of chest. Like we are literally going to do eight sets of chest from every angle. We'll start with flat, then incline, then decline, then some flies, then some other stuff. Like we're just going to blast the chest for 30 sets. And I always thought like there's no way you're going to do quality 30 sets. Like there's absolute no way you can do that. But it kind of makes me think about what's the balance between volume and intensity. Yeah, that's a great point. And, um, you know, I have a little story about that. So when, you know, when we were younger, we, we, uh, followed guys like, uh, Scooby, uh, Chris Jones, ice <laughs> one cube. Um, and there was something in common with the workouts. I could never finish them every time I tried them. And I always thought that like, maybe I am just kind of, you know, a weak piece of shit. And I just like, can't, can't get through them. Like, I'm just like, I'm just not built the same as these guys. Right. But, um, in common between those three guys was that they would always have high volume workouts. We're talking 20 to 40 sets and all three of them always recommend to go to go to failure on their exercises. 
very frequently, right? Scooby is famous for going like, I think like every set, like I remember like a chest exercise, it'd be like do a chest press to failure and then immediately go to a chest fly to failure and then do a drop set. And then you're supposed to like not really rest and then go again and do like 12 sets of that. <laughs> and like, and, and I, I think like, you know, by the end of my workout, I'd start at like maybe 70 pounds or chest press. I'd finish at like 30 pounds. I wouldn't be able to do a knee push up at the end. Like I wouldn't even be able to get up. Right. So yeah. Um, so I, and I, I think that speaks to it that uh, probably leaving a couple of reps in reserve with every set is a great thing. Um, and, or I think a simpler way I program this for clients a lot is like, let's say there's, I want them to do, uh, four sets of pull-ups. Right. Um, and I know they can do 10 pull-ups. I'll do something like, uh, three sets of five pull-ups and then one set to failure. Um, so that way you still get the best of both worlds. We got some volume in first and then we know it's the last set. So if they bum themselves out, it's not, it's totally okay. Right. So in your last set, we can take it to a zero reps in reserve and we can get the benefits of that intensity. Um, so using failure, using super intense sets in moderation, which kind of is like most things, using things in moderation is probably the key. Yeah. So from my own personal experience, I used to always do like uh, a burnout set near the end. So like example is maybe I do three by five on bench press and then afterwards I'll then go drop the weight to maybe like 60%, 50% of my max and just like blast out maybe two sets of like 10 plus reps and just really focus on like just burning out the muscle. And maybe at the end of my chest workout, I might just do like three sets of push-ups to failure just to really get a lot of blood pumping there. But something I was kind of like with the Juggernaut AI program, something I started thinking more about is prioritizing recovery where like how beaten up do I need to be in every workout and instead yeah. maybe focus on hitting more volume across multiple days. So like instead of maybe working out three times a week, bumping it up to five times a week, but maybe not going as hard every time and seeing if there's like maybe better results from that. So I stopped doing those burnouts. I have actually been following the Juggernaut AI program like exactly to the T. Whatever Chad Bot tells me to do, I'm doing it. Um, and exactly. So I'm kind of curious on how my gains and results will be from that being a little more conservative in my approach instead of trying to uh, beat myself up every time I leave the gym. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, a lot of the whole like fancy science of strength training and like hypertrophy training is really just people figuring out how to be more lazy to get more gains. Like really a lot of it is like, you know, they found out, oh, maybe we shouldn't train with like maximum intensity uh, all the time, right? Or it's like people like learning what the minimum amount of sets is uh, to get a effect and how many sets is too much where you start to get a negative effect. So um, you know, I think it's going to work out pretty well for you. Um, cause it's, you know, I think their whole premise is about the math, right? If you can get in more quality sets per week, regardless of whether you get bagged at the end of the workout, you should be making more gains. Yeah, I know. I, I definitely have seen the science about that, but I'm also thinking about the other side and, uh, for those who listened to our episode with Tom, which if you haven't, you should. Fantastic episode. The guy has an amazing story. He mentioned training with the late, great Coach Pendley. 
And as both you and I know, Coach Pendley, he was known for following a lot of like Eastern European training methods. Like I believe it was the Bulgarian method yeah, he liked, correct. where yeah. it was a lot about like uh, doing maxes almost daily, like doing like your ninety-five percent max a lot, and um, even on a more casual level. Are you familiar with Eric Buchagan? Yeah, yeah, he's the YouTube strength coach guy. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, WWE wrestler, fantastic guy to watch, love his videos. Um, he likes to do the Bulgarian method too, like, he maxes out everything. So, it kind of makes me think too about that about like how does one side of people who do amazing work and have great gains who do these high, super high intensity, but you also see a lot of research about like low intensity but more volume is the most optimal way. So, I feel like there's not like a uh, exact answer to what's the most optimal way for strength training specifically i know hypertrophy is probably going to be volume yeah um you know well i i think the one thing about bulgarian method is that while uh it, it can build results and i think one of the big things is like the mental toughness like you're literally friggin' going to die and max out every day um it gets you tough if you can survive it but it got people hurt way too much right tom himself talked about how uh, his career was definitely ended early um, because of uh, that sort of a mentality. Um, so I think if you want to train with that style, though, uh, the right way is probably the, the way that, uh, you know, the GOAT Dorian Yates uh, proposed uh, his HIT high intensity training because he actually respected the principles. Uh, he used super high intensity. Um, if you guys aren't familiar, basically, I think every body part, he'd pick three to four exercises. So if it's a chest day, because he's a bodybuilder, we do chest, we do a flat bench press, and then we do maybe incline dumbbell bench, and then we do like a cable fly and maybe like a, I don't know, some other exercise. And they'd ramp up and just do one balls to the wall set of each. So there's really only four working sets. And I think that works really well um, because he didn't load up so much volume. He, he understood that you're going to tear up the muscles so bad with those intense sets uh, that it's not smart to go and do 20 sets of that, that maybe those four sets is all you need. And I think, I think now looking back um, years later, uh, I think Dorian was onto something there that that can work pretty well for people, especially if you're short on time. Yeah, but I would say one, uh, kind of two things against Durian method. And before I kind of diss his method, one uh, first thing I would say, Durian H, man, like what a legend. Love the guy. Love his psychology. Love everything about him. And also just his physique was insane. Um, but kind of with his training method, one of the things you would see, though, is like Durian, I would say, would go to a failure most humans couldn't go to. Yes. Like he would really push himself harder than yeah. – um, even an exp I don't think I could go nearly as hard as him with like full hyped up and everything as yeah. well. He would even have trainers with him to like push the weight more. Like yeah. he would be like doing assisted reps just to get the absolute most broken down he could. Um, so one, I'm wondering about how efficient that style is for someone who can't go to that level of intensity. And two, as we all know, Dorian was on a lot of non natty juices. <laughs> And so it makes me think, too, about um, the recovery with all the PEDs. Does that enhance it where you do get additional benefits from going to such a true failure? Yeah. Um, and then now, now here's getting out of like formal science, but I'll, I'll kind of use what I know to 
to think about it. Uh, first of all, if you're a beginner, intermediate, even just like a regular non-super badass human, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's gonna really work for you. Uh, you guys have seen him train like in his like blood and guts documentary. If you're not screaming, crying a little bit, uh, if, if you haven't contracted all your jaw and like deep butt muscles, uh, you aren't doing it, right? Because it's you're meant to go fairly with the weight, but you ain't done yet. It's always like drop set or, you know, assistant reps until you're really tearing it down, right? Um, but you know what? Like the, another way to spin it is that I think it could actually work as well or even better for natural lifters because um, at the end of the day, it's the volume is quite low, right? And we we can imagine like the continuum of like intensity higher, volume must be lower. Volume higher, intensity must be lower. And he fully respects that rule, right? We're talking three to four sets of body part per week, uh, whereas usually we're talking about, I think, uh, 12 to 16 is what people propose uh, for optimal gain. So it's like three to four times the difference, right? And I mean, I'd say most natural people can probably recover from four heavy, heavy sets uh, in a week. Um, but obviously you need to be able to hit that level of intensity, uh, which is super, super taxing, but also takes less time in the gym too, right? And we know natural lifters uh, can get better benefits from not spending like three, four hours in the gym. So I don't think it's the right answer, but I do think it could work for some natural lifters. And uh, maybe it's something we should experiment with na with one day for like a month or two and see how we feel with it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, currently I've been doing a bodybuilding block with Juggernaut AI. And I gotta say, I've enjoyed it. I might even consider doing like a whole bodybuilding like training um year or something like just get really into it because i never really dedicated much to bodybuilding as much as maybe powerlifting or power building yeah. have a combination of the two but just maybe focusing purely in bodybuilding would be interesting um because as if during the h method is effective for hypertrophy it may not be as effective for strength gain we could, yeah you could say so um it might be an ex interesting experiment to do one day um and again, yeah, like no disrespect to Durian Yates, the man was, oh man, and this legend, him and Ronnie will always be the goal of bodybuilding in my eyes. Yeah, and and I think another testament is that Dorian's a lot healthier than Ronnie Coleman today, because I, I and I think one of the things is that he trained pretty like pretty scientifically, like he went super intense, but he also went short sessions and not a lot of sets, and you know where Ronnie probably went a little wrong is he'd go intense every set for like, like, I don't, I don't know how many sets, like 40 sets per body part with like so much weight, even while contest prepping and depleted. And, and uh, you know, I think smart training is, is always going to be good. Like knowing your own body. And I mean, also another thing about Dorian H is I would say it's controlled intensity where he yeah. was do he was going to failure on machines. And I mean, as we say in Natty News, like we're normally pretty against machines, but for Dorian Yates training, the machines were the smart way to go because yeah. he is focusing on those isolation. The machine makes it safe where he's not gonna even when he completely breaks down, his firm will never fully break down because of the restricted motion of the machine. So it was the better way to go. And I think even in an interview, Dorian Nature was asked about, like, how is he able to move? I think he's actually really big into cycling now. How is he able to do all that stuff? While Ronnie, unfortunately, isn't in the best health right now. 
And one of the big reasons he said was like, I never did those heavy squat or deadlifts. Like you will never find a video of me doing a heavy squat or deadlift. Yeah. And, and I mean, it was smart. Like that's a sport, right? Um, you know, the, the secret of professional body bodybuilding, I think every, almost every good winner is like over 35 years old. The secret is to have longevity and be healthy and keep putting on those non-natty gains and, Dorian knew the secret. Like he stayed healthy and used a method that worked super well for his body. I got to say something else about like um, going kind of back to the intensity and consistency. I find though lower intense workout can be more consistent. And that's a whole yeah. other aspect. Like yeah. where if uh, I think one of the big flaws with my training when I would just do my own programming is I would always try to schedule workouts assuming I'm going to be at my best. Assuming yeah. I'm sleeping well, eating well, mentally well, yeah. I can hit this. But by doing that, I kind of set myself up for failure, either that I don't finish the workout, I don't hit the reps I want to. I do, but I give a firm technique or something else. So I think that's something else I like about these higher volume, lower RPE system, intense workouts is that it kind of makes it so no matter how I'm feeling, I can do it. Like I, I have not yeah. had a workout yet that I've struggled with that I couldn't hit the RPEs and like hit a pretty reasonable weight for. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think that method's going to work for the majority of regular people who have stressors in their life that we have to acknowledge and understand that we're not going to hit PRs every day, but that doing this sort of sub-maximal work day after day, week after week and enjoying it will actually help you to make more gains in PRs in the long term when you are feeling good. Yeah, no, it definitely is. So um, to kind of maybe go into some more like implications. So we mentioned like yeah, RPE systems, not the best for beginners, but who would you say it would be the best for? Like as a coach, would you recommend RPE systems to some of your clients? And if so, which type of clients would you recommend them to? Yeah, um, well, first of all, I, I think uh, I'm going to recommend them to clients who have little bit of experience at least like six months or so of lifting weights and experience lifting to kind of close to failure so you know i i would say this is either you're training with a good training partner or you've seen a coach to work with them to bring out uh that you know kind of that fire to actually go to failure because a lot of people i really don't think have ever felt that before um and i think until you feel that you don't know what like zero reps and reserve is but um, I recommend it to a lot of people. I think there's more so exercise that it lends itself well and not so well to like Olympic lifts. It doesn't lend itself well at all. In my opinion, it's just people who are doing like trying to go like RPE eight snatches. I'm like, that's bullshit. Um, but I think for power lifts, even it can be a little sketchy, uh, especially at like heavier weights at like closer to like a five RM, like I don't know. You don't really know, right? Like a deadlift, I feel like you can always get like three more if you just let your back break, right? So uh, again, it, it's like pretty hard for those. Like for deadlifts, I often just give people like percentages and just tell them to work within something where they feel like they have good form. But bench press, I think it works okay. Um, like rows, uh, pull-ups, all that stuff. And then all accessory movements, I think RPE works really, really well. Uh, accessory movements, I tend to give like one RIR or like zero. Like I let people go pretty hard on them and go to town on them because kind of like Dorian Day style, like you're pretty safe underneath a machine for the most part. Um, and it's also learning to train a failure is a skill and it's a good chance to practice that. 
and we know that a little bit of super intense training also is beneficial for your muscle gains. I'm surprised about um, not doing an RPE system for deadlifts because I find for myself, actually, uh, a deadlift actually can give a lot of cues about when you're approaching an RPE, like nine or something. Uh, at least for me, like I notice when I'm getting to true failure, I start to maybe not, uh, I kind of like, um, what's the word? Like I shoot up my hips quicker. Like I don't kind of mm -hmm. keep the strong firm. So as soon as that happens, as soon as I feel my hips are shooting up faster and I'm just kind of just using my back to carry it up, I'm like, okay, that's getting kind of close. That should be my last rep. I'm done. That's an RPA eight. So I feel there's a lot of cues for that, which is funny because I feel like getting an RPE for my pull-ups is impossible because sometimes I'm feeling good. Like let's say I'm doing a set of eight. The sixth rep, I'm feeling fantastic. Seven rep, I just like pause halfway and I'm like, wait, what's happening? How am I stuck here? And it's because, I mean, my biceps suck. I have the weakest biceps in probably the whole country for my weight. So um, it's kind of funny, though, about how we have different cues and how different RPE systems are easier and more difficult for us. Yeah, and it's, it's a learned skill, right? Uh, um, and it's almost like individual to each lift, like the ones that you know, you understand your own deadlift pretty well. And you understand that like the hip shooting up is your indicator of a nine. Uh, a lot of people, I, I don't think get that. Like I, when I deadlift, I don't really get that. Like I've, you ever like take a video of yourself lifting and you did the lift. You're like, holy shit, that was so hard. And you watch the video. It's like, oh, it like, <laughs> it, it was so smooth. Right. Um, or vice versa. Right. And that's the thing. It's like, it's so subjective. And sometimes it's like hard to tell. I don't really have the answer for it. I, and I think, um, I think RP can be used only if you understand that lift pretty well. That's, that's my key thing. Uh, and you, I can agree with that too. I feel like, yeah, I think there has to be some bit of understanding of yourself and your lifting technique and everything um, to use it effectively. And it's something I'm learning a lot too. Like I'm learning more about cues. I've noticed about how I'm getting close to failure. And again, like, I have a huge problem that I overestimate my abilities. I do my first set thinking it's easy, thinking I have so much of my um, tank, and then the last set, I'm struggling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but one point I don't want to miss, though, is I do think everyone should learn how to train the failure. Um, yeah, every single person. I just think it's, uh, you know, first of all, it's that we are in the gym to push ourselves, and we need to do it in an intelligent way. But I think just when you it's uh this is the kind of an intangible but knowing how to tell yourself what a true maximum like really show your body what it's capable of like it's a badass feeling and, and i think everyone needs to experience that and then also it gives you that educational information of what your maximum really is so you can use that to guide your training see now kind of what my question is how would you do it intelligently because like we would test our failures like i think uh, when we were in high school we used to go for maxes every time and it was okay because we were invincible and we could recover from anything but like when you're not in that invincible period how would you test a true intensity without that previous experience uh i i think it's an exercise selection thing you know um I will probably never do a deadlift AMRAP again unless there was like one money on it or like two, my ego just really got in the way. Um, so so we'll see there. But but there's a lot of safe ways to do it, right? Machines are pretty safe for almost anybody to do a, like an AMRAP, right? You, you, can, you can go maximum tricep extensions. Like 
I hope you're not going to hurt yourself doing tricep extensions. Like <laughs> you got to mess up pretty bad to do that. Right. Um, so like, that's a very safe way, but, or even just like movements, you know, you have very good competence with, like you have very good confidence with, with, uh, deadlifts. I'm pretty confident with my pull-up that no matter how dead I am, I'm going to keep perfectly straight form, um, and good technique with it. Uh, like push-ups are pretty safe for a lot of people to get through. Um, maybe like, like a split squat, right? Like if you just fail, you just don't get up, right? It's not a big deal. Uh, whereas like a back squat's more risky because if you, because when you get really tired, if you're not, uh, a squat master, your back's going to get loose, your knees going to cave in. Um, yeah, picking movements that you are confident with and ones that have low stakes, if you're going to fail them, I think is the key. I would love to see someone get like an adrenaline pump doing tricep extensions. Like, you know, when you have with the hype you feel after a big like deadlift, I want to see someone have that same hype and they're just doing the tricep extensions. <laughs> That's me every like three months when I get to do like one day of arms. Oh man. Oh, I had to do like 10 sets of triceps a few days ago. And dude, my like triceps have never been that pumped. Like I've really been lacking on all those arm exercises. <laughs> Right, it's different to just like do your accessories half-assed than yeah. to like really do some arms for real and take them like a serious muscle. It's so different. Yeah, I would say if we ever do an episode of like lifting regrets, I think not taking uh, accessories or bodybuilding as serious would probably be one of my big ones. But I mean, again, you know what? We have a lot of lifting left in our lives, so good to fight, figure out these mistakes now and just grow from it. Yeah, well, you know what? Well, we got our like eagle lifting and like. 50 deadlift and reps of the way at a young age when we could handle it we probably don't want to start doing that now anyways because <laughs> it's going to take us out of work i think if we do a couple sets of deadlift maximums and try to go home and pretend nothing happened <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah no i mean i'm hoping to definitely hit more deadlift prs but maybe not train smarter though instead of just training like throwing my body at a brick wall <laughs> yeah ex yeah exactly well you know like you're in good hands with juggernaut i think chad's got like a like a 900 something pound deadlift or something in his life so it's yeah you're in the hands of a guy who knows what he's doing no definitely definitely and i think um one of the big things is i'm kind of shifting my mentality and looking at the bigger pictures in each workout, like I used to take each pit workout as the battle, but instead now I'm kind of looking at more holistically, like, okay, this is the program. It's about being consistent about making sure my recovery is on point, making sure I'm eating right, sleeping well, all the stuff. So being more holistic, I think will be the key to hitting that three plate bench and six plate deadlift. My two big goals coming up. Definitely. I mean, I mean, it's, uh, kind of like the like adult evolution right like taking a more long-term approach to planning and like planning for big goals i think at some point you have to do it if you just always plan on the day like it's you're you're gonna feel good on the day and get intense but it's not gonna get you there yeah and i mean also like you and i were both busy people we have a lot more important things going on in our lives than just lifting weights <laughs> yeah and yeah, if there's like, a way yeah yeah, taking like the moderate intensity approach helps you to not make working out like a super stressful thing too. Like, I don't necessarily want to be a warrior in the gym anymore, right? Like, I, I want to be a guy lifting weights and not getting hurt.
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, um, we could definitely go into uh, like, oh, I don't know if we talked about it, but you know those like Instagram or like Facebook things about like when I go to the gym, I'm not working out, I'm going to battle, I'm going to work. Like that's the cringiest thing I've seen. Like you're not some warrior for lifting some weights. You're not this badass. <laughs> Yeah, man, you're literally li lifting some nice, shiny, recently cleaned, like, dumbbells on your nice, like, smooth bench, right? Like, in your, like, in a very controlled, repetitive manner. That doesn't make you an animal. You, you're, you're a guy that lifts weights, which is great. Very good for you, very healthy. But, yeah, I, I hate that stuff. Yeah, like, it's this whole thing about, like, oh, you're lifting weights in your air-conditioned, comfortable gym. Like, you are such a hard, tough alpha male for lifting in your air-conditioned gym. You're so tough and strong. <laughs> yep. That, yeah, it's uh, such a toxic thing. And I hate when people, like, teach that, too. And trainers are, like, teaching that to their clients. I'm like, oh, my goodness. You're just, like, breeding more, like, toxic gym members. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean... I mean, again, it's such a good thing to do. I, and I feel like it kind of counter to intuitive because I feel like lifting weights is such a humbling experience too. Especially, honestly, I got, when, since I started doing this higher volume, low intensity, it is so humbling to go work out and then put on like 155 on the bench press and the yep. 155 on like the fifth set of like 10 reps uh, is kicking my ass. Like, it's it's so it's humbling to go there and use these lower weights and just beat you and you think you're this big strong guy and you just get beaten by one plate on the bench <laughs> yeah yeah I, I totally agree it's it's very similar with like the weightlifting for me you know uh you've seen and you hear about like oh pat can clean and jerk 140 kilos and like that comprised a very small part of my training on like on the daily basis i'm doing like clean and jerk complexes with like you know like 100 kilos which isn't a lot to me but then there's all the reps and stuff and i'm like between sets i'm like on my knees panting gasping for air and like yeah i i love being humbled by it though it's, it's uh i think it's a mindset change for both of us and i think if you're not doing that yourself and you're lifting um consider that approach right like let let the weights be humbling don't be afraid of using the lighter weights uh when you're doing higher volume and uh yeah i think i think if you stop ego lifting it's, it's gonna give you more gains yeah, so I think probably some good takeaways is um, you, if you're more of an intermediate lifter, look into using an RPE system to measure intensity and maybe try doing some heavier volume, uh, more volume work if you are considering maybe more hypertrophy, you want to be more consistent with your firm and all that. And I think a big thing too is it's okay to lower the weight for more volume like i think it's a big thing yes. for me is that i never wanted to lower the weight i never wanted to drop down yep. like if i could do two plates for 10 i never want to go down two plates if i'm doing a set of 10 but kind of realizing and accepting that that you'll get more gains from just dropping the volume focusing on firm technique consistency is how you'll maximize the gains and for our more new lifters as you were saying really maybe try to go to failure on those safe exercises you listed like really feel that intensity and that failure and just being fully beaten up by a pair of metal dumbbells. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, that's, that's great advice. Um, I don't have too much to say about that. I, I agree. Uh, if you're, if you've never been taken to failure, go ahead and find something safe and beat yourself up. A training partner helps a good coach helps. And then, yeah, if, if, if you're, if you're like, uh, 
old Anbar and always punch balls to the wall. Maybe, you know, use those lighter weights and it might give you more gains counter to what you think. We have some wow. friends I think we can think of who, who could use some of that advice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, man. And yeah, you know, this conversation got me thinking too a bit about like the whole Dorian Yates um, intensity on that. Like, I think that would definitely be an interesting experiment maybe one day. Currently, Juggernaut AI is the big experiment, but maybe we'll do a little Yates experience in the future. Um, but yeah, if there's nothing left on this topic of intensity, I think, Pat, you have some amazing natty history about one of my favorite exercises. So let's let's hear it. Let's hear about this a great history on one of the best exercises you can do in the gym. Yeah, and and I bet you that our listeners out there, I know some of us listening are strength coaches, weightlifters. A lot of us know this exercise, but not a lot of us know where it came from. It is the Romanian deadlift, right? Where you bend your knees slightly, you hinge at the hips, and everybody loves it for the hamstring and glutes benefits. But why the hell is it called a Romanian deadlift? So here's the story. Um, way back in 1990, a Olympic weightlifter called Niku Vlad um, came down uh, to the United States, uh, you know, practicing for the Olympic trials uh, in preparation for the Olympics. Now he's practicing in the OTC in the Olympic Training Center. Um, and he was doing this exercise, you know, he was doing this Romanian deadlift. But back then, the, the guys just saw him was like, they just saw him and they're like, well, that's not a regular deadlift. He's not touching the ground. Um, he's not really bending his knees much. He's And he's just doing it for repetitions, kind of like medium to high reps. And they went out and asked his coach, um, hey, this is a cool exercise. We might want to uh, use it too. Um, and they asked him, what is the name of this exercise? And the coach said, we don't have a name for it. We just do this thing, right? <laughs> so the uh, American weightlifters actually decided, well, Niku Vlad is from Romania, so we will call it a Romanian deadlift. And that's kind of the the origin uh, of that exercise. So it's, yeah, it's not, it may or may not have actually been a Romanian construct other than the fact that Niku Vlad himself did it. And this is pretty recent too, right? It's only been around, as a named exercise for the last 30 years, but it's crazy how much it's blown up. Like almost everybody in the gym does it. It's using like strength and conditioning and all that stuff. Like it's super popular. And dude, I go, I'll go and say, I love the strength at communities naming characteristics like, oh, the guy's Romanian. We'll call it Romanian deadlift. Oh, um, we'll call it a Pendley row because the guy who invented it was called Pendley. Oh, we'll call it like a back squat because the weight's on your back and you squat down. <laughs> like it's just also like the script. Like it's so simple in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I, I think this would be just good segments to keep doing. Like the origins, the exercise. Like there's like why the hell is Bulgarian split squat called called? Uh, I have I have this suspicion that some of these exercises aren't actually from where we think they're from, and that someone may have just named them randomly too. You know, I have a feeling that too. Like. Someone might have been like, oh, I do like this super uh, tough Soviet workout. It involves Bulgarian split squats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and to go back to the, the history of the Romanian deadlift. Um, now, Niku Vlad is a guy who's still around today, actually, right? Um, I mean, if you think about it, he was in his prime in the, in the 90s. So it's only been 30 years, right? He is actually the president of the Romanian Weightlifting Federation. Um and he's actually been pretty prominent lately. 
um, because the Romanian Weightlifting Federation just got banned from the Olympics uh, for having multiple, multiple, many multiple uh, drug bans. Um, and that's super notable because uh, in the women's, I think, 59 category, they actually had a potential silver gold medalist. Uh, her name's Laura Donna Toma, who's a uh, really incredible lifter. I think she's she weighs about 60 kilos. She can back squat 200. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they just got banned. And uh, Niku Vlad is probably the guy at the helm of that as the president. So he's probably the guy that that is uh, running this whole drug system. But um, so that's pretty funny. And, and this is the same guy who we uh, kind of indirectly know is the founder or, or uh, first proprietor of the Romanian deadlift. Yeah, I mean... Man, it would have been interesting to have uh, Zane on, who, if you haven't listened to that episode, um, Zane is a good friend of both Pat and I, who is has extensive knowledge on everything ph uh, pharmacy-related. He is a pharmacist and knows a lot about drugs, and he did an amazing talk about PEDs. Um, man, that is interesting. I mean, it is cool that he's still involved with the sport, but maybe not so cool that he's involved with all this drug stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, you know I, I think we could say the Romanian deadlift is probably the least natty exercise in the whole world. <laughs> and I do like this. I think we should do some other ones, especially my favorite, the Jefferson squat. I heard Thomas Jefferson himself invented it. Yeah, that hundred percent. It's Thomas Jefferson. That's. He was, he was doing that in the White House, just <laughs> splitting his legs open. <laughs> yeah, that's why the British stopped invading, is they saw Thomas Jefferson, uh, Jefferson squatting three plates, and it was just like, okay, no, we can't beat this man. Turn around. This man's got leg for days. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, with that being said, any last message for the listeners, Pat? Yeah, well, you know, the usual, if you like this episode, uh, you got to smash that like button and uh, give us a sub subscription. Uh, if you have ideas for future episode topics or if you want exercise or history segments for us to cover, we are happy to do that uh, research for you. Uh, you know, like Natty News is 5% an actual news show and 95% just us talking to each other. Um, so that's important to us. And um yeah, I think that's all I have. Yeah, and just the last thing, too, is that uh, we will be sharing Pat's link for his national weightlifting competition. Definitely come by and support. Um, I mean, I think this is so cool that we have a national-level athlete on the show. Like, that's so cool, Pat. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I just got um, I just got my uh, Canadian Sports Inter Institute uh, card confirmation this week so i guess i'm officially an athlete dude that is awesome like we you're literally a national competitor that is so badass man congratulations again but no super excited to see you lift no matter the numbers you get it's still a huge accomplishment and no it's it's awesome and just the start of an unbelievable career you have with weightlifting yeah thank you thank you you know hopefully i don't i uh have the kind of success that Niku Vlad does. I, I'm still trying to do my Romanian deadlifts. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, with that being said, thank you all for listening. 
Hope you all have a wonderful day and Natty News out. Natty News out. Hope you all enjoyed this week's episode of Natty News. If you'd like to learn more, be sure to check out our website www.natty.news. As well, check out our Instagram Natty News Podcast and Facebook page Natty News if you want to get a bit more Natty information.